Alright, last week I taught the events surrounding Jesus' healing of the nobleman's son and when the clock told 7.45, we were about to exegete John 5, 1-7 through 7, where Jesus healed the man from Bethesda. And uh, that was actually uh, week before last, wasn't it? Alright, let's look at, and I'm going to jump right to the NIV, although I'm going to, let me, let's read through at least verse 5 of the KJV. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches, and we're going to see that's actually five colonnades. And these, and they have dug it up, by the way. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. And then there's nothing there for verse four. And then verse five. And certain, and a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. So here you'll understand what I mean when I say that when we go to the NIV. But first, let's use First John. 1 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study your word. Uh, guide us now as we do recognize that all scriptures God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction for instruction in righteousness in order that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, let's look at the NIV. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And so it's apparently a lot larger pool than we had envisioned. And the colonnades uh, are places where you go under something to protect yourself as opposed to a porch, which is usually a porch with a rail and some rocking chairs, you know, <laughs> as opposed to a colonnade, which usually has columns that come out in front of a house and you have some place where you are protected from the, the weather. And uh, they suspected it was a lot larger than uh, people think. Uh, but uh, it's, there's a picture of where it's located as far as Jerusalem is concerned. It's not in the temple. It's not on a porch of the temple. But it's near what they call the Sheep Gate or the Lion's Gate. And uh, that's, uh, I think, gives us a little better vision of it if we think about it as a, as a, a, a large area, a large pool. And uh, I've seen several pictures of it, artist renditions of it, uh, which surprised me, but... Uh, in one of these pools, Jesus will find this lame person. So here we go. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. 
here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Alright, and then there is no verse 4. And then it says 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? He said, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And we did have uh, a bit of history, ancient history, that said it was very common on the first day of the new year that an angel would appear at several different pools all in various areas and would stir the water and if people would get in, they would be healed. Now, I have concluded, and it's strictly my conclusion, I don't have any documentation for it, that it's a demonic kind of thing. I don't believe that uh, otherwise. Uh, just given the fact that Jesus Himself healed the guy without the water, told him to pick up his pallet and get out of here, and that got Jesus in trouble, but we'll read more about that later on. But anyway, so much for that. We do know there was a pool there. It has been not only scripturally documented, but also uh, someone has you know, found it underneath uh, a particular dig. Alright, now let's go on. We looked at some other digs previously in our previous lesson like the, where the Rashamrod tablets were found, etc. You'll remember that. If not, it's on the internet. Alright, uh, one who was there had been an Indian for 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and learned how long he had been there. He asked him if he wanted to get well. He replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And apparently it's only one person at a time. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The Lord forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Uh, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Persecuted him. Alright, and Jesus responded, My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. So you can see the map of Jerusalem's old city there, the Temple Mount and the Port of Bethsaida.
Bethesda, excuse me. All right, divine healing. Let's take a look at this. This is a only a portion of the doctrine of divine healing, but let's take a look at it. And it's on the internet, the entire thing. And uh, uh, on the website. It's not on the podcast, but I probably will put it on here one of these days. But it says, The Bible teaches that human beings may look to God for direct healing. Uh, this portion, of course, will go on the podcast, by the way. Because David goes ahead and puts whatever our lessons are on the website, then he puts it on the podcast also. David, our webmaster. So the Bible teaches that human beings may look to God for direct healing. Divine healing is a subject over which differences of opinion have existed from early in the church of the, early in the history of the Christian church. Protestants and Roman Catholics have claimed to practice healing as well as Christian scientists. And many of the ancient pagan mystery religions, Bible-believing Christians agree the Bible teaches God has healed and can heal every kind of disease. You notice the differentiation from Protestants and Roman Catholics and Christian scientists. Christian scientists are not are not thought, nor are they listed by the federal government as a Christian group. And uh, I know a lot about Christian scientists. My grandmother was a Christian scientist, and my mother uh, has held it against them because she held her baby sister in her arms until she died because my grandmother would not take her to a doctor and they believed that you are sick because you've done something and if you would just but clean up your act you wouldn't have any illness in the world so it's a strange group but they certainly believe in healing and they have nurses who are trained to help you as you suffer All right, Bible-believing Christians agree the Bible teaches God has healed and can heal every kind of disease. In proclaiming, I am the Lord, your helper, God promised the Israelites that in consequence of their obedience, He would put upon them none of the diseases of the Egyptians. Exodus 15, 26 I didn't end my story, and I should end my story about my grandmother. When I was in California, I wrote her a letter. And when I was working for North American Aviation, and I told her in the letter that I was never happy unless I was telling somebody about the Lord Jesus, and that was true. And after that, my mother said she had cancer and she was dying. She said she seemed to. Uh, make a major turnaround in a relaxed mental attitude when I told her about the Lord Jesus in the letter. So anyway, that was an interesting aside, if you will, in my personal life, which is neither here nor there. <laughs> All right, let's go to Exodus fifteen twenty six and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. 
Alright, David testified regarding the God-fearing man. Psalm 41, 3 and 4. The Lord will sustain him on his sick bed and restore him from his bed of illness. I said, O Lord, have mercy on me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. Alright, the psalmist in Psalm 30 repeatedly thanked God for his healing. Psalm 30, verse 2. O Lord my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. Psalm of, I think a Psalm of David as I remember. And then obedience to God's word can result in healing and health, says Proverbs 4, 20, 21, and 22. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Alright, some of the healings recorded in the Bible were with means, as in the case of Hezekiah, where the means was a poultice of figs. Wine was a means in the case of Timothy and music in the case of Saul. And you'll remember in 2 Kings 20 verse 7, Isaiah said, Prepare a poultice of figs, they did so and applied it to the boil and he recovered. And you remember Hezekiah was a good king. He did really great things and seemed to be one who truly trusted the Lord. But when he got very sick and was dying, his mental attitude led him astray and that he said, I want to live longer because I have a lot more things to do for the Lord. <laughs> And so he went to Isaiah, and Isaiah said, I'll pray to the Lord for you. And he did, and came back and told him, he said, you're going to live. And he then had a son named Manasseh, who was the worst king ever, and uh, famous for it in the Bible. It couldn't be a worse king. So as a result of him living, he fathered... Uh, the worst king ever. Alright, so it just kind of goes to show you, like in our prayer meeting tonight, we need to kind of relax about things and know the Lord's got things under control. Alright, and then we have in 1 Timothy 5.23, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Uh... And then in 1 Samuel 16, 16, let our Lord command His servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit comes from God. It comes upon you, you'll feel better. That was, of course, when they decided they needed to find the guy that had been so so reputed to have been so wonderful. There was this guy named David, they said, who had completed his compulsory military training and had been a wonderful uh, example to the other troops. And not only that, he was a warrior who was capable of killing the enemy with regularity. And he was also a man who could kill lions. He was a man who killed, could kill bears. He was a man who... Uh, played the harp uh, and uh, wrote songs and sang songs and was just a number one guy 
And uh, so they called him to come to the palace and sing and play whenever Saul would go into one of his... uh, Well, actually, he would go into mental illness given to him by God. God gave him this evil spirit. He would... David could bring him around. Till finally, of course, he got jealous of David because David was able to go out. And, well, he started, you know, with a slingshot. As a mighty man, he faced a huge problem when Goliath came upon the hill. And he said, You send a dog out to fight me? <laughs> That's from a video by Hannah and Barbera that Tyler used to watch all the time. And we wondered what Tyler was doing when he would get up on the edge of the bathtub and he would take his plastic baseball bat and he would stand up there and say, You! You! And we thought, what is he doing? You know, he was always doing crazy things. And uh, then I was watching David and Goliath a thousand times Tyler loves to watch the videos over and over and over, and I, it dawned on me. He's he's Goliath up on top of the hill, looking down into the bathtub with his baseball bat, and he's not playing the part of David. He's playing the part of Goliath, and screaming out "You!" And that's exactly how he said it in the video, you know. So, very interesting lesson I learned to listen to the boy a little better, you know. Uh, I won't tell you another story, but anyway, he also, <laughs> Tommy's shaking her head. Uh, but uh, he used to say he wanted two popsicles when he wanted a popsicle. And I lectured him and I lectured him and I tried to get him to say, you just say popsicle, you don't want two popsicles. And I was telling this to a lady at the hills one day and who was very interested in autism and uh, uh, I told her the story and she said, well, Jerry, you're not listening to him because I also told her the first thing he did when he got a popsicle, you know, a whole popsicle, he breaks it in two so that he has two popsicles. Then he takes the stick out and he makes little men out of them and uh, uh, works with them, you know. But she said, he's telling you two popsicles. He breaks it in two, you know, and I, and again, I should have listened to the boy earlier. <laughs> but uh, autism is a strange thing. Strange disease. Alright, let's go on. So, First Samuel 16, 16. Let our Lord command His servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you and you will feel better. So don't think that David was a little boy and all the Baptist quarterly say he was a little boy, you know, went out there and took the stones and threw them and killed Goliath. And they base that on the fact that Saul's helmet didn't fit him. His armor didn't fit him. And yet you go to Florence, Italy, and you see the statue of David. He's a huge, real man with a slingshot in his left hand. And so Michelangelo, he knew his Bible. So he put the statue in the hand of a great, strong man. And uh, 
the reason the, the helmet didn't fit was because the Bible tells us he was a t- head taller than any man in the kingdom, Saul was. So naturally his hat might not fit David, who was a normal size, but a, obviously a mes- muscular man if you look at the statue of David in Florence, Italy. Alright, let's go on. Others were without any means, as in the case of Miriam. You remember she didn't like what her brother did, Moses, and uh, married an Ethiopian, and she couldn't handle that, you know. So uh, the Lord gave her leprosy and said, mind your own business, woman, and uh, David can do what David wants to do. And I'll take care of David. You take care of the dishes. All right, now let's go on. So certainly the Bible is not opposed to the use of means for healing since Christ himself considered it normal for people to go to a doctor. All right, on hearing this, Jesus said it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So we give an indication there that Jesus was not against going to the doctor. All right, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus states that oil and wine were poured on the wounds of the beaten traveler. And uh, you remember it was a contest between a very religious person and somebody who just passed by and helped him. Alright, it is significant that Paul chose Luke, a physician, as his traveling companion, given the fact Paul was never a healthy man. There is also a class of healings in which certain additive factors have a part though many are not of themselves actually therapeutic, but rather symbolic of deeper meaning. For example, in the healing of Naaman, the Syrian general with leprosy, his stepping into the river Jordan appears to speak of faith on the part of Naaman and cleansing on the part of God. And there were plenty of wonderful places in Israel where he could have gone to get into some water. But God said, no, you go over here, special place, a Gentile land, and jump in the water. And he did, and he was healed. And then there was the blind man, again, from Bethsaida, not Bethesda. I generally get mixed up here, but I got it this time. Jesus made a salve of clay and spittle, which was an ancient custom and a means of healing. Tacitus writes of Vespasian in Alexandria, Egypt, being asked to sprinkle the eyes of a blind man in Latin, oris excremento, which means he spit and put it on his eyes. All right, the healing of a blind man of Bethsaida was unique in that it consisted of two stages. After the first, the man saw people indistinctly as moving objects like trees walking. So many have tried to explain that. Well, here's, I think, the best explanation. The second stage of healing was the touching of the eyes. Given the context of Mark 8, 17 through 22, and I suggest you read it, the gradual healing was meant to symbolize the slowness of the twelve disciples in attaining spiritual insight. In fact, it had to, it lasted even after he told them he was going away and they would get the Spirit. They still didn't believe. You remember how sad they were when 
back on the road to Emmaus, etc. Well, they got their eyes open very gradually, like the blind man of Bethsaida. And I suspect that's as good as any in the way of an explanation. Alright, the laying on of hands upon the sick, both by Jesus and by the disciples, and anointing the sick person with oil, were symbols of a divine presence and healing power through the use of oil. And that was also the, the means of therapy. So it says in Mark 6.13, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And you'll remember in our study of the temple, we talked about oil that was in the reservoir that provided the power to the Lord Jesus. In other words, the source of the light, the seven lampstands, seven candles on the lampstand were supplied with oil, which was in a little basin underneath the lampstand. So it, uh, all of that was symbolic, you'll remember that, as I said earlier, about the temple. The temple was the Bible of the Jews before they had access to the scrolls. Alright, many false concepts about healing have developed. Alright, let's look at a few. For example, when a person seeks healing from God, some conclude he is making a choice between God and the doctor. Christian scientists go so far as teaching that the use of of a doctor is a sin. Uh, and I've given you my little anecdote there where maybe Catherine died of a blocked bowel, which could have been easily taken care of by a doctor. Alright, in the case of Asa, which has been quoted as an example of how choosing a doctor over God, this reflects a lack of faith on the part of the believer. Asa's choices was one of choosing the equivalent of witch doctors over God. So the word in the NIV translated physicians might better be rendered pagan sorcerers. Second Chronicles, not Corinthians. Second Chronicles 16.12 In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though the diseases Though the disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from physicians. So some believe that physical healing is as much a part of the salvation purchased by Christ on the cross as is the forgiveness of sin. Isaiah 53, 4a and 4c are often quoted as proof of such a position. Most evangelicals, including yours truly, disagree, however, with such an exegesis and analysis. Let me read 53.4a and 5c. Surely He took up our infirmities, and by His wounds we are healed. So in only one other place in the New Testament is there any suggestion of healing in the atonement, and we will speak to that but you'll remember it was it was this verse plus others, which one we'll look at in a minute. But surely He took up our infirmities and by His wounds we are healed. If you look at the Passion of Christ movie, you will see this before anything starts. That put on the screen. And I will never forget Molly. Most of you know who Molly is. 
Molly said to me, did you see that? That kind of indicates that by the heal, by Jesus' infirmities we were healed. But that's not true, is it? I said, no, it's not. It was His spiritual death on the cross. I said, but you got to remember, Mel Gibson is a dedicated Catholic, and this is what Catholics believe. So he put that on the screen. But nevertheless, it's a marvelous movie, and I, I appreciate Mel Gibson so much for that movie, The Passion of Christ. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Wow. It is dying no might. All right, let's go on. Peter in 1 Peter 2.24 connects, By whose stripes ye were healed with Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. But there is no explicit mention of physical sickness. And most agree 1 Peter 2.24 is used metaphorically. There are also those who contend healing was a first installment of the resurrection promised for our mortal bodies through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Romans 8.11 And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised, who, excuse me, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. So most evangelicals, evangelicals believe the reference to life to your mortal bodies refers to a temporal sanctification. In time. Alright, there are those who contend that sickness is always the result of sin. Again, this is the view of the Christian scientists. The Christian scientists, like the cereal grape nuts, is neither Christian nor scientific. So while it is true that many sicknesses are a punishment sent by God for sin, for example, the plagues which struck Israel when they rebelled against God in the wilderness journey, Balaam the prophet and Balak the Moab king conspired to defeat Israel and God intervened. I'll read Numbers 14, 36 and 37. So the men... Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. And you'll remember that finally we got some good men. Sounded like a Marine Corps deal, doesn't it? Some good men. So Numbers 25, 1, 2, 6, 7, and 8. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women. You remember we studied this in great detail. Who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. Now verse 6. Then an Israelite man brought to his family, Phinehas is his name, brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance of the, to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left. The assembly took a spear in his hand and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them. Through the Israelite, and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. You remember this was all the Balaam, the Balak, the plot. You remember that uh, the prophet, Balaam the prophet. 
had an idea if I can just encourage the men to go down there with the Moabite women and cohabit with them and marry them and have sex with them, uh, God will be so angry at them for doing that that He will take, you know, He will uh, curse them because that's what He was being asked to do by the king, the Moabite, the Moab king, Balak. So you remember that story. We went over that in great detail. But it didn't work. Because God is a God of grace. He didn't understand. God's not going to do that just because the men are evil and go down and cohabit with the women. No. He's going to do what's right. Not only for those folks, but for us here in West Bank Bible Church. So we get the good story. And of course, what happened to, what happened to old Balak and Balaam? Well, they were killed. As were the Moabites. And they never messed with Israel after that. Because God turned Israel loose on them. Alright, there are still other sicknesses which are used uniquely for His glory. John 9, 1, 2, and 3. As he, as he went along, He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked Him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. Now here's a mouthful, folks. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in His life. So when we think of ourselves, oh my goodness, the United States of America is going to hell in a handbasket. Just think about it. This guy was blind in order that Jesus could show him He was the Messiah and could heal. So who knows what we've got out there happening in our country today. It's been a lot worse at other times, I will tell you that. Alright, then there are sicknesses directly used for the good of the sufferer. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8 To keep me from becoming conceited. This is old Paul talking about how he was being beat about the head and shoulders by a demon that God provided. Again, God is in charge. He sent this demon to beat him about the head and shoulders. Why? Because he was arrogant. And he wanted to keep him humble. Alright. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. (laughs) In other words, I have so much Bible doctrine, said Paul, that God is kicking my tail. You know, every step I take. Bam! You know, every step I take. Just because I have so much Bible doctrine. And you'll also remember last week I read you about how when he first came to Jerusalem and uh, everybody thought he had been with Barnabas and Barnabas had seen him work up in Tarsus and he had done such a great job of evangelizing this Tarsus up there in Turkey. Then when he brought him to Jerusalem, everybody was afraid of him. Oh no, that's the guy that held the coat where they killed Stan. Oh my Lord, have mercy, he's awful. And the Bible says, Barnabas said, well, let's get him out of here. He's causing trouble. Who? The greatest Bible teacher that ever lived. The greatest Bible teacher that ever lived was causing trouble. And the Bible says when he got up and left with Barnabas, everything smoothed out. And what happened? So many people believed you couldn't count them. You think God doesn't work in strange and mysterious ways. He does. So we should take heart. We should take heart in what we see today. 
We have no idea. I'm preaching to myself now, folks. <laughs> we have no idea. So then there are sicknesses directly used for the good of the sufferer to keep from becoming conceited because of these and surpassing great revelations. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And three times He said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So that sickness is to be attributed to the devil is also a fairly popular contention. Those of this persuasion base their argument on what Peter said to the Gentiles concerning Jesus' ministry. Quote, He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And in a general sense, we know about the devil and what he does and what he doesn't do. But even in the millennium, I mean in the tribulation, God wants these devils, demons to come out. And so... God gives the devil the key to the to the pit. And he goes down there and he uses the key that God gave it and releases all these evil spirits who come out. Amazing, isn't it? Alright, that sickness is to be attributed to the devil is fairly popular contention. Alright, while it is clear from Scripture that Satan often does inflict sickness upon men, it is equally clear that this occurs only with God's permission. God as sovereign can and does use all manner of suffering for His own purposes and glory. Romans 8.18 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Alright, cause of sicknesses. Suffering in general is the consequence of the curse that came upon man after the fall. In this sense, all sickness stems from man's first sin, though it does not follow that an individual's personal sickness is due to his own personal sin. Prior to the fall, man had a means of maintaining health and longevity by eating from the tree of life. And I scratch the similar tree must will also exist in the millennium. And uh, rather than get into that, we've studied the doctrine of the millennium before, but let's notice Genesis 2 9, then we go to verse 22, drop down in 22 and 23. And the Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now verse 22. And God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. How many times have you read that and you don't think about good? We don't need to know what's good. Bible doctrine in the soul will tell us what is good. But good and evil. You don't need that. Of course, we do need that now, but I mean, we didn't. He didn't need that. What he needed was just to do what he was told when he was told. In other words, uh, God said to him, "There's a tree out there, fourteen foot in diameter. Go up there and grab hold and pull it out of the ground." And uh, as we used to say in the military, "Well, if they tell you to do that, you better damn well go grab hold of it and pull." <laughs> 
Though you may not be able to know, pull it out of the ground, but you know they told you, pull it out of the ground. Well, you go try. So the God, from the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Alright, there is also a similar tree with all manner of fruits for the healing and enjoyment of the millennial citizens. Ezekiel 47.12 Fruit trees of... He, he's having a vision. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every mouth... Excuse me. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leave for enjoying the perfect environment of the millennium. He describes the millennium in chapter 40, read through 47 and further actually. He was, he, he went in the, he was exiled in the 597. You had, the, of course, the first one, 606 and 597 and 586. Well, Ezekiel went in the exile later, but he had some different visions. And he told a lot about it. He told all about the temple, you remember, from our lesson. So Revelation 22, 1 and 2, Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 2, Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree provide pure deliverance from the ills of life, which characterized their lives before Christ's millennial reign. So let's quickly analyze categorically Ezekiel 47.12 and Revelation 22.1 and 2 that tell us that there is a tree in the garden which provides healing. We could conclude that there will be no healing in the eternal state because there will be no sickness. This would logically follow given the fact that the citizens of eternity future are reborn and the new covenant makes them perfect. Walbert writes in his book about this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The intimation of the above passages is that while it is not necessary for the believers in the eternal state to sustain life in any way by physical means, they can enjoy that which the tree provides. So there are many cases where sickness is caused by man's ignorance and aside, excuse me, also by his own carelessness. We must understand all such illness like everything else becomes a reality only by the permissive will of God. Sickness may be directly caused by man's sin as in the spread of venereal disease or chronic illnesses resulting from alcoholism and in some cases AIDS, etc. But again, we must always remember God is sovereign and often there are exceptions. Sickness may be sent by God as punishment. For example, King Uzziah's sin. And you'll remember old King Uzziah. He was a haughty guy. He uh, went into the temple and said, Well, move over, Mr. Priest. I'm going to make the incense pot today. And I'm going to use the messages in the Bible. And I'll make the incense. And then I'll go into the Holy of Holies and I'll authorize it. And the priest said, get out of the temple. You're the king. Political and religion separation. And he smarted off at the priest. And when he did, I can just see it, though I don't really can't see it, but I, the leprosy just started 
coming up on his face. And he became a leper. And he then headed out of the temple and could no longer rule in the palace because like the COVID, (laughs) he had to be segregated because he had leprosy. So we'll stop right there and we'll get more into that. I'll provide the Scriptures for you to say that. But let's use for, again, opportunity for anyone who may be without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. That Scripture, when made clear by God the Holy Spirit to anyone who is within the sound of my voice and without hope and without eternal life, will save you. All you got to do is to believe that. Faith alone in Christ alone is the way of salvation. Now I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real in order that we might grow in Your wonderful grace, Father. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.